we'd like to convey to people a lot more than what we do heaven and the greatness of our eternal life and the place called heaven. Of course, if you're not into jewelry, it's sort of difficult to understand the streets of gold and the pearls that make up the gates and uh, the many expressions that John used in Revelation to describe such a glorious place as heaven. But those were only symbols. They're symbols. If we see a sign 20 miles to L.A., and we got mixed up with the sign rather than with the city of L.A., uh, we wouldn't uh, think that we were thinking real correctly, would we? So when we talk about heaven, we talk about a relationship. We talk about uh, the relationship that God has with his people. It's a place, but at the same time, the relationship is, is what's important. And I want to call your attention to Psalms 23 this morning because it's a great psalm. And the last uh, two lines of that, uh, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Those lines convey unto us the existence of eternity as well as the existence of our day today. In fact, you know, the hills where David uh, watched his flock were the same hills where one night the angel of God broke the silence from heaven, shattered the silence for over uh, 400 years. God hadn't spoken and given any written word or spoken through any prophets. He announced to the shepherds the birth of God, the birth of God's Son in the flesh. It was 30 years later the, that Jesus stepped out of the carpenter's shop in Nazareth and onto the pages of uh, human history. His coming out was a startling event and the beginning of uh, a three-year journey that would take him to the cross and to the resurrection and to the reigning over people would be called the house of God. You know, when he began the public ministry, uh, visible a visible part of his ministry, he was announced by John, John the Baptizer, a famous prophet. Jesus said that he was a great person, but he said he's in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And he was talking about his house too. But John said, he's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Jesus described him in, uh, himself in John, the 10th chapter, in verse 11, 
He said, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. So in a sense, uh, the symbols of Christmas should really be the symbols of sheep and shepherd rather than probably the wreath and the tree. But it is because of Jesus that we Christians are able to honestly confess those final lines in Psalms, Psalm 23. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It is in these final words that the sheep of Psalms 23 that we reach three conclusions and they're based upon us saying the Lord is my shepherd. One of the conclusions is that that psalm, those last few lines were talking about the here and the there. The here now, the present and then throughout eternity. You know, if you look carefully at the final verse, surely goodness and love, as some versions have it instead of mercies, but it's included in mercies, will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You'll see a definite connection. That's a reason for that uh, conjunction and, and it's inserted, connection between the life that's here and the forever that's there. You know, a lot of people, they think that li this life is an independent entity. It's a closed unit. Then the forever. On the other side of the grave is some independent closed unit all its own, and that there's really no connection between the two. Isn't that sad? Psalms 23 really isn't talking about sheep. It's talking about people. It's about you and about me and about other people who've lived in the flesh. It's making the connection between this life and the forever life the eternal life. Those who belong to the Lord, those who are the sheep of his pasture, those who in this life are followed by goodness and mercy and love are the ones who will live forever in the house of the Lord. And that house needs to be talked about a lot. But the reverse is equally true. True, if a person is not a Christian, the days of this life are not connected to the goodness and to the love and to the mercy of God. Those persons will not dwell forever in the house of the Lord. This life is not independent of the next life. Not at all. What we say and what we do here is connected with what we will experience in the next life, eternity.
that which is to come. It's a matter of heaven. It's a matter of hell. When people die, they would say, everyone, most people say, everyone goes to heaven. It's expected. It's expected like Social Security and Medicare. You just reach a certain point, and it's just there. When you need it, it'll be there. Well, I'm amazed at the number of movies and television shows now dealing with the theme of death and what happens after death. When you listen carefully to what the script writer says, you always describe it this way. The person who has died has gone to a better place. They're happier now that they're, than they've ever been before. They've gone to be with the man upstairs. And all of this is, is the certain expectations of Americans. It's interesting because the absolute, this absolutely contradicts what the Lord has said and his purpose to come into this world. John 3 and verse 36 says, Whosoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whosoever rejects the Son will not see life. But God's wrath remains on him. That's Jesus speaking. Now this raises a sensitive controversial topic of punishment and of hell and of the blackness and the darkness of a man who's separated from God. But if there is a heaven, then there must be a hell. If it is an option to live forever in the house of the Lord, then it is also an option to live forever outside of the house of the Lord. Now, there are a number of us who can remember 30 or 40 years ago when hellfire and brimstone preaching played a big part, you know, of the preaching of evangelical Christianity. But, you know, but that's 20, 30 years ago. And maybe even years and years before that, in the days that it was, the Bible was beginning to be preached even in Europe. It seems to me that the whole society has decided that we don't want to be threatened by evil. We don't want to be threatened by hell. We don't want to be threatened by doom preaching. We don't like the idea, so we have really, more or less, we have voted it out. There's no way we won't hear. More than 90% of the Americans say they believe in God. And close to that same percentage says they believe in the Bible. 
But when you ask them whether they believe there is a hell, the percentage drops tremendously. One thinks that he or she is just exempt from hell. Well, you are if you're a believer in Christ. You are if you are following the goodness and the mercy of God. People picture hell as a sort of a place that you can put up with and that things uh, maybe is not so bad. But it matters not how soft-peddling we are with that word, it still exists. Jesus, at the end of his tremendous sermon on the mount, the Sermon on the Mount, he said, a person who hears the sayings of mine and does them, he'll be like a man who builds his house on the rock. And the storms and the rain and all of the things will come and it'll stand. But he said, the man that, does, that hears my sayings and does them not, he'll be like a person who builds his house on the sand. And when the test comes, he'll not stand. We all remember that. He said in that same sermon, not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You know, we've forgotten that the reality of heaven and hell has nothing possibly to do with our opinions. It's not an issue to be decided at the polls in the 1990s or any other time. It doesn't really make any difference what Americans or any other people in the world think about or what they want. We don't determine this. And we never have. The reality of heaven and hell is God's issue. It's God's choice. He is the one who determines what is and what isn't. And what are the requirements to get in and to stay out of his kingdom? It is the same God who declares that there is a connection between this life and how and where we'll spend eternal life. So the worst possible mistake is to come to the point where you choose wrong now and spend eternity regretting it. And the best possible choice is to choose right and to live right now and then spend eternity celebrating the choice that you make. The Christian, the person who has confessed sins and accepted Jesus as his Savior and Lord, is the person who can say in the words of Psalms 23, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Now live in the house of the Lord forever. So, one of the observations I want to make from that psalm is the here and the there, the eternity. 
and God has already determined it, and we don't determine it. Another one is, is when you make it, and when you accept the Lord Jesus as the Lord and let him do his work by atoning for our sins with his blood, that we have confidence. We have confidence. The person who really believes this and works things out and goes ahead and lives his life, this is the person who has confidence. That's, you know, that's troublesome to some people who uh, think it's sort of arrogant. They think it's arrogant and inappropriate for someone to say, I'm sure that I'm going to heaven. Well, I suppose that would be true if it were a matter of a self-confidence. See? But the confidence is appropriate when it is based upon the character and the words of the shepherd. If sheep could think and talk like people, they might say, our shepherd has taken good care of us for years. He has managed us well. He has taken us to good pastures. He has rescued us when things have been wrong. And when we've been frightened, he has soothed us and has given us strength and courage in taking care of us. He has gone with us to the high mountains and through the valleys and all the experiences. He has even risked his life, and during times of the storms, he's protected us and cared for us. And he has told us that, that uh, we can come and live in the house of the Lord forever. So the sheep say on the basis of who he is and what he says. We're in. We're following our shepherd. We're following our shepherd. We will dwell in the house of the shepherd forever. Under those kind of circumstances, there's no doubt. There's no need to doubt. In fact, doubt is quite inappropriate because it begins to question the character of the shepherd. And when we doubt, when Jesus says, Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life, and you can dwell in the house of the Lord forever, you don't question it. Now, Jesus wasn't called the shepherd just in Psalm 23. You know, in John, the 10th chapter, and the 11th verse, he said, I know my sheep, and I call them by name. And in the 27 through the 29, he said, you know, my sheep, they listen to me. They listen to my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life. And no man can take them out of my hand. And that's just, isn't that, isn't that just wonderful? Isn't it just wonderful to know that we have that kind of a promise? And did you know how it fits together? Jesus is absolutely promises to every one of us that we have eternal life. John said in him is life, and that life was the light of men. 
And in him was all things created that has been created, what he thinks created that, has, that he hasn't given life to. And he was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, even the only begotten of the Father. We behold him, full of grace and truth. It's the same kind of confidence that is found in the book of Romans when Paul talked about it. And he said, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, when we have that kind of confidence in the future and that kind of confidence in God, it just spills over on everything we do in our relationship with man. And if you don't have it, it undermines your relationship with God and with man. So we can say, I'm sure I dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We have confidence. But another point I want to close with in this great psalm is that when you say the Lord is my shepherd, you have contentment that you don't have anywhere else. You know, we think about the house of the Lord. We think about the word house as the house, the publishing house, the house of representatives, uh, we use it in referring to a place. But it not only refers to a place, it refers to people and to a work that's being done. And when God speaks of his house, what makes the house of God? What makes heaven, heaven? The same God that designed the best for the world, he designed the best for heaven. And people become a member of the body of Christ so they can live here with forgiveness and in righteousness and in harmony with God. And then they can live in harmony with God in the later time. What makes heaven heaven? It is being there with him. It's with his presence. It's with the peace that comes with the fulfillment and the sense of well-being that we're with God. We're with Christ. We're with the Creator. And it just bubbles up. And we can go through the future. We can go through the present. We can go through anything with contentment. This is what is as being confident. And you know, we can be with Him in a place where everything He wants to happen, happens. And that affects our life. A lot of times, if it's not happening like we think it ought to happen, if we're with God and he's with us, let's accept it. People who don't think much about God, who don't like the way God does things, are hardly people that would fit well into heaven. There's a connection between our relationship with God and our relationship with people and with things that are happening because of God's providence. I find that just the prospect of heaven, of eternal life, and knowing you have it, 
can settle you down, can give you poise. I really feel uncomfortable thinking of the number of people throughout history that have died as martyrs. And you know there are people today in different countries that are dying because they believe in Christ. The first martyr that we have a record of was Stephen. But you know what happened when people see a person have die with the conviction that there is peace and love and mercy of God here and in the house of God forever? You know how they die? They die like Stephen's. They die preaching Christ. And the beautiful scene there was that when his life was being snatched from him, he had the calmness, the confidence, and the contentment to die because he knew not only the here but the forever. And he said, Lord Jesus, and when he looked up, he saw him change his position. He saw him, Luke said he saw him change his position because he was seated at the right hand of God, but he saw him standing and he was looking. And he talked with him and he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit and lay not this sin to their charge. And you know how many people served Jesus because they saw him in touch with not only this life, the confidence and the contentment of being in the house of God, but they saw the forever. And they went everywhere preaching the word. And we have a trail of experiences through the history of man that when people see people die for the Christ of eternity, even their enemies began to serve and to say, I want to serve that person. Jesus is real. If you were to die today, could you cope with life here and the life that you're going to have in the forever? Not alone. The only way you can cope with it is with Jesus Christ. And that's the reason Paul said they're all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Just as many of us as have been baptized into Christ have put him on. The reason he said, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away, behold, all things become new. The reason he could say, by one spirit are you all baptized into one body. That's the reason he could say, he is the head of the body of the church. That's the house of God. And Paul preached that. That's the reason on the day of Pentecost, he said, they were added, the Lord added to the church, to the house of God. Right to Timothy, he said, I write this that you might know how to behave thyself in the house of God, the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. It's a relationship. 
people on earth and people in heaven, an extension of our lives. This is what it is to be a Christian. And we don't have to fear if we die, we'll go to heaven if we're in Christ. That's where he is. He is our life. And it's not, it's not being egotistical. It's not being overconfident when a person says, yeah, I believe I'll go to heaven. Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. And they're prepared by the blood of Christ, the sacrifice that was paid on the cross. And you can have it today. If you haven't confessed him, if you haven't received him, if you haven't been baptized into him, if you haven't put him on, he's a person. He's our God. And he's asking you to come as we stand together and sing.